0: Hello, handsoms. Welcome to Personally Speaking, the monthly comedy cocktail party where your friends tell stories to make you laugh. What should we call you guys, by the way? Personalities? speakies, Personalities? Let us know in the comments. There are three simple rules that govern, personally speaking. All stories must be one, ten minutes or less, two, completely true, and three, absolutely hilarious. We have a monthly theme to connect all the stories, and this month has quite possibly been one of our best shows yet. Everyone on the lineup brought their A-plus game for this month's theme, which is the phrase, we need to talk. We open with Jen Kershio, who was stuck in a terrible job. Kate Huffman talks about the O.G. Simpson trial from a different perspective. Eric Zulager gets serious with himself over a chicken dance. Mal Smith meets an internet friend in real life. Alexa Loftus wants to date Ray from Girls, don't we all? Luce Tomlin Brenner vandalizes a car, and Ify Mwadiwe is in the wrong place at the wrong Every story you will hear is both hilarious and powerful, so please, guys, stick around to the end. You will not regret it. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Let's start over for the... I'm going to walk out. I'm going to walk out. You guys are going to just... I'm going to wait for a moment in silence because I've always wanted to feel this. I'll wait for a moment in silence. You guys are going to start cheering before I even come out. (laughs) And then when I come out, it'll just be to uproarious applause. It'll be beautiful. All right. Are you guys with me on this? I hope. All right. Beautiful. Let's try it. Let's try it. I just indulge me on this one. All right. In three, two, one, I'm going to take a silent breath.
1: Go. Hello, handsome. Hello,
0: handsome. Tellers tonight. You guys, we've got Jen, Kate, Eric, Mal, Alexa, Luce, and Iffy tonight in this house. Literally in the house. Physically in the house. Woo! Give it up. Let's keep it going. Everyone who's getting on stage tonight literally just wants your attention, and oh my god, do they deserve it? We have such a good lineup for you tonight. I've taken special care to personally get into a relationship with every single one of these people. We all dated for about six months. i vetted them very carefully, guys. They're good lovers. (laughs) Uh, We've got seven stories for you tonight, and they are all related to this month's theme, which is we need to talk. Uh, This month's theme became much more relevant to me than I was expecting uh, because I got dumped by my job,
1: <laughs>
0: uh, which is when your company wants to see other people. Not that I'm bound by contract not to say anything mean or anything like that. Uh, but they are—they were very, very good about it. But it felt exactly like a breakup. It was like I was like I came in. They started talking to me. They're like. So I think it's time for us to part ways. (laughs) I was like, "Does this mean we can't have sex anymore?" (laughs) And uh, and it was. Here's the thing. Okay, they were like, "We want to see other people." And naturally, my first reaction was just like, "I don't want to see another other people, baby. I just want to be with you." Even though, like, kind of the whole time you were dating, you're giving me like, like, "Fuck me," eyes to other agencies. (laughs) I'm gonna get through it, guys. I'm gonna get with a new agency. We're gonna exchange glances across the room perfectly fine what you guys need to know is has much less to do with with my job hunt and much more to do with the people who are getting on stage tonight to entertain and show love to you we have so many good stories for you and I'm just gonna ask really quickly are you guys ready for this <laughs> Can you get excited, and can you show me your excited in decibels? Go. Get excited. Yep, 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 yep. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. I want to hear that. I mean, that's actually, like, some people go to sleep to the sound of waves. I just listen to that recording over and over again. It's yeah. Wonderful. Uh, the first storyteller that we have tonight is somebody that is a friend of this show. We are all huge fans of her here. You guys love her. She also started her own show over at the Lyric Theater on Hyperion. Her name yeah. is Jen Curcio. Get on up here! Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah,
0: Thank you, Jen. Happy to have you back.
2: Thank you for having me back. So I graduated in 2008 with a bfa that's a bachelor in fine arts that means nothing uh it's wonderful um but it equals nothing and when the economy is really shitty it means like super nothing (laughs) (laughs) so i had been on the other side of the table getting a lot of those talks we need to talk jen get your box let's go so when I finally got to like have that talk, give that talk, and be like, listen, we need to talk. I'm out of here. It felt so glorious. It was amazing. And this is that story. <laughs> I worked in Culp'sville, Pennsylvania. You have never heard of it, nor had I until I finally worked there. Uh the company was filled with people that were like completely different from me so they were very conservative the company made parts for oil rigs i'm very liberal very gay i want to drive a tesla (laughs) so like we couldn't be more different but like because i'm like the human yellow lab i wanted to be friends with everybody like I was like, I love you no matter what. And the people at the office were like, no. We don't like you. We can tell you're different. You don't have children. You're not married. And that's weird to us. And I was like, oh, okay. But I was super closeted, by the way. Fun. And, um... (laughs) (sighs) So I still wanted to be friends with everybody, so every Friday, I would bring in donuts for everybody, because my parents raised me. They were like, just be friends with everybody, Jen, like share with everybody, be friendly, and they'll love you. They're going to love you so much, and so I I was trying to share. I was trying to be nice, and uh, I noticed that there was like a lot of tension between two of my coworkers. Uh, I called the one the LFC, that stands for least favorite coworker, <laughs> and the copywriter. So, like, for example, like the one day the copywriter wrote these really long captions for photos, and the LFC was like, if you gave a fuck about your job, you wouldn't write so many goddamn long captions. And the copywriter was like, go fuck yourself. And I I went to the copywriter and I was like, listen, um, your captions were wonderful and very informative, and I like them so much, but they have to be shorter. The copywriter was like, sure, sure, sure. And then, like, when the LFC came in and she announced that she was preggers with twinsies, that's the kind of person she was. Like, she was an asshole. Like, not even I could be friends with this bitch. Because, like, just look at me. Like you kind of want to be friends with me. I can see it in some of your eyes. <laughs> I'm mellow. I'm kind. I'll help you move. <laughs> I'll give you a ride to the airport if you need it. Oh, I so I have new friends, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this LFC like was not happen. Like she wasn't having it. Like she hated the copywriter so much. So when the copywriter quit for a better job, I was like, she's gonna be less of a frigid bitch. She's gonna be nice now. And I thought that her life of sadness was gonna turn around, but it didn't. And I'm not surprised because here's how the LFC met her husband, where she said, hubby, fucking shoot me. (laughs) She and her hubby met because her hubby was hitting on her best friend at a bar. And her best friend was like, don't talk to me. And her, So then the guy was like, okay, I'm just going to move on down the block. And six months later, they were married. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sad, I know. <laughs> Even I, that's how I was like fighting the urge to be like, ill when she told me, but it's true. So anyway, the writer leaves, and I'm thinking, like, sh- this is going to change. She's going to be nice now. We're going to be friends. We're both named Jen. We're both graphic designers. This is going to work out. (laughs) Wrong. Her hatred shifted completely to me. Like, when I came back from lunch that day that the writer left, like, she didn't even waste a damn day. That day at lunch, I come back, and she's flipping out. She's got this, like, paper in her hand, and she's like, look at this, y'all. Look at this. And I was like, what is she showing everybody? And she's like, She made a typo in an email. And I was like, are you talking about me? And everyone's like, just ignore it, just ignore it. And I'm like, no, no, are you talking about me? And she's like, yeah, you wrote this email like three months ago, but I printed it out because it had a typo. And I was like, you asshole. But I didn't say it. I was just like, okay, let's talk about this. And she was like, yeah, let's talk about it to our boss. And I was like, you bitch. And she was like... I don't think you deserve a raise. And that was like her catchphrase. I don't think you deserve a blank. (laughs) Whatever it was, like for example, we were at the company Christmas party and she started freaking out. She was like, I don't think y'all deserve a Christmas luncheon because y'all didn't work hard enough. And everybody was like, bitch, it's (laughs) (laughs) Chick-fil-A. We deserve better than that because we showed up to this shit. So that's how she was. And I started to realize, I was like, I am never going to win. Like, this is insane. So one day we, like, finally had it out, and I went back at her, and our boss was like, that's it, girls. You're going to have to go get water ice together. We're going to wash away this bad blood with water ice. And I was like, okay, that's bananas, but let's go. (laughs) So she's driving, and I'm trying to, like, be friends with her again because I'm a yellow lab. And she's like I'm like hey so what? what's your favorite TV show? And she's like I love True Blood but I hate that Anna Paquin. And I'm like why would you hate Anna Paquin? I'm dying to know. And she's like and I, this is totally true. She says because she's one of those bisexuals. <laughs> and I don't believe in them. <laughs> and I was like of, I am one at that point. <laughs> but I was like, so you're telling me that like there is a mythical creature island and it's filled with leprechauns, unicorns, and fucking Anna Paquin. Is that what you're telling me? And she was like, yes, that is what I'm telling you. They don't exist. And I said, okay, let's get this fucking water ice and we're going to go back to work and we're not going to talk to each other ever again. <laughs> so we do it. We go back to work. And I was like, this. you know what? I had been doing comedy, and I had been commuting from Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania to New York for like two years, and I was like, this is it. I'm going to win. I'm going to defeat this bitch by moving to Los Angeles and doing comedy. (laughs) So that is exactly what I did, and she was so pissed and so bitter. And on the last day of my work, everybody brought me in cookies, and they were like, We want to thank you for being such a nice person, unlike that other bitch named Jen that you work with. That's my story.
0: (laughs) Keep it going for Jen Curcio! As I mentioned, she does a wonderful show that she just started called Sleepover Party over at the Lyric Theater on Hyperion. It's dope. She hands out party favors. That automatically means she's a great hostess. Uh, I was recently in a neighborhood that belongs to someone in this room, no judgment, and my car was broken into. It's tight. Uh, They broke only my right rear passenger window to which i was they did not steal the car like you broke open the window could have pulled open any of the locks there like easily could have gone through and they instead took my uh box of yearbooks that was in my car and i was like you took the one thing that was valuable to me and completely useless to you i'm like were you super right. stoked on knowing what I looked like with braces and, like, heavily straightened <laughs> hair. Was that your di- Like, there is some carjacker out there, because I realized it wasn't just my car. It was, like, four cars in front of me. All of us, we all had, like, the right rear window broken the fuck into. So I was like, what if all these other people all just happen to have yearbooks in their car, and this guy is just like, <laughs> this guy's jam is just like, <laughs> braces on eight-year-olds. Oh, God! was oh just job. like... Jesus, what's your deal, man? Why did you? I don't know. I mean, desperate measures. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it all kind of feels like it, it happened at once, and I, I wish I had a better transition. Kate, Kate Huffman is coming <laughs> to the stage next, guys. I'm not an adult yet. Give it up for Kate Huffman!
3: Thank you, Kate much obliged got broken into when i first moved down here and they took all my cds and it was long enough ago that that was a big deal because i mm-hmm. use cds <laughs> um all right well guys we need to talk about how good the people versus oj simpson is Woo! yes Woo! thank That's you so thank you thank you thank you it is so good they're doing a, a wonderful job with this show um and it's 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 super trippy for me watching it because the first time i watched it all go down i was coming from the perspective of like a punk kid who was just pissed off that all the adults in my entire life were like just had disappeared for an entire year just glued to tvs right like my my summer vacation on lake michigan Every single one of my adult relatives was inside the little cottage we had rented, glued to this little rabbit ears. Like, we watched that fucking trial through snow. And it was so frustrating. And then, as it rolled into the school year, for some reason amongst uh, my group of friends, it became the cool thing to do, to be like, OJ was innocent, man. This is a fucking bullshit. He was framed. And uh, this would... Piss off my mother so very intensely, and it wasn't a racial thing. We were we were very progressive. I was the we were the only white family on my street. We went to I went to a mostly black school, which. The show is now making me realize maybe that's the reason that my group of friends was like OJ was framed because like I always thought that everybody thought that and like I've t- <laughs> I, not not thought it like I don't think we ever actually thought it but it was like the cool thing to say and I'll talk to like other people like white people my age and I'm like didn't you think that when you were a kid were you guys all like and they're like no that we weren't but anyway uh that <laughs> aside. This is, like, the only time in my life that I ever behaved as a bully because the more my mom got upset, the more I would push it. I'd be like, if it don't fit, you must acquit, bitch. Um, yeah, I was, I was such a jerk. Um, and I remember the day of the verdict. They stopped classes, and, like, I went to a very small school. They put all the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in one classroom, and they wheeled in the little TV that we all shared for those three classrooms. And when they announced that verdict, we fucking cheered. My God, how we cheered. We were like, you know, O.J., O.J. <laughs> and then I think at one point we probably switched to Johnny, Johnny. It was terrible. And I remember the look on all our teachers' faces. And they were so dejected. And I could only imagine, like, ah, what are you going to do when you're dealing with this group? I mean, he was so very clearly guilty. I think they all realized that. And they were like, Dealing with this group of riotous children rejoicing at the acquittal of a murderer. And I went, I, I went home that day and I was skipping and singing, and I walked in and my mother was weeping on the couch. And I froze. Um, I didn't run to her or anything. I think I kind of, like, approached her timidly like she was a wild animal. Because, you know, we're not used to seeing our parents in that kind of abject pain. I, the image is burnt into my brain of her weeping. I f- assumed someone had died. Uh-huh. And when she told me, you know, I haven't been able to move from the couch since they announced the verdict, I was furious. <laughs> I was like, are you? stupid people that we don't even know. like, And they weren't even people, you know? It was a circus. I was like, it's fucking over. We get our lives back. I might get my mom back. Uh, and she just, like, looked up at me, sniffling, wringing her little handkerchief, and was like, Kate, you have no idea what it's like to live in the kind of fear that Nicole Brown Simpson lived in. And I was just like, what? Ever? What are we even talking about? And, you know, I mean, I think I matured enough within probably six months to realize how stupid it was that we were saying that, and that, you know, like, (laughs) piles of DNA evidence like the world has never seen probably is, you know, not something somebody framed. But I didn't think about it at all much until many, many years later when I was driving to college with my mom from Indianapolis to Miami, and somewhere along the road, Denny's or Perkins or something similar, uh, she looked up at me, and she was like, Kate, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and she said, I told your sister this when she was 18, and now I want to tell you, I want you to hear it from me. And uh, And she said, I was married once before I was married to your father. And I kind of froze over my, like, build-your-own-omelet situation or whatever I had going on. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, man. Um, I said, that's, like, so crazy, though, right? Like, that that broke my world view. Like, there was no illusion. Like, it was always... It was was a shitty marriage, but it was my parents' marriage. Like, that was that world. There was no previous world. Um, But there was more. And she said... um, I was married to O.J. Simpson. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. No. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I was telling the story once, and someone thought I was going to say that, so that was funny. Um, but she did. <laughs> she did tell me that she was married to a man who took her away from her family and friends in no small town, abused her verbally, emotionally, and physically, and. Uh, she just told me this whole story and how, you know, she eventually left and my grandmother called her and was like, Mary, what are you doing? Go back to your husband. Just very intense story. And I don't think it was, it wasn't a couple weeks later when I was ruminating about it. It was immediate. Like right there in that booth, I remembered her reaction to the OJ Simpson. trial, And I realized, oh, fuck, like, No, she was watching that whole trial needing vindication she needed that guilty verdict because you know her abuser's probably out there somewhere dead or I don't know but um, yeah so I was flooded with guilt Uh, (laughs) like immediate intense guilt like can you imagine (laughs) oh god I watch the show now From many different... It's very emotional for me. One, because it's just good entertainment value. And two, watching it from her eyes. And it's very intense. Like, you know, all, like, 64 police reports of domestic abuse that the police, like, shoved aside because he was the juice And then, you know, (laughs) know, the release of the 911 calls when you hear Nicole's voice, like, just the images of her, like, he practically decapitated her, right? So I'm experiencing it now through my mother's eyes, which is very emotional. And then secondly, through my mother's eyes, remembering that then she's got this little 11-year-old telling her, practically being, I mean, in a way, I was my grandma calling her and telling her to get back to her husband. Like, I was this little kid being like, he, wasn't, he didn't do shit, that man is innocent. So... um, I guess the whole point of the story is to tell you to start watching the show. Because it's good. <laughs> um, but in reality, it's just sort of like I try to watch it and, and respect the bravery of my mother and forgive myself. Because we were all punk kids once, right? Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that.
0: Woo. <clears throat> Keep it going for Kate Huffman. Keep going. Um, I also recently realized that, uh, that I, I am a bully. Uh, (laughs) thank you, Chris. (laughs) Usually, usually it's, it's almost always romantically, but it's, it's kind of just like, what, you're not going to ask me out, pussy? (laughs) Hell's wrong with you. I generally tend to kind of, uh, gang up on the guys I like. Um, it's probably one of my more charming qualities, honestly. I, I gang up on them just by myself somehow. Um, okay. When my last, like my last boyfriend, and I uh, broke up. Like the strange thing was that literally every single fire alarm in the entire house went off because he showed up, telling me that we would be having dinner that night, which I started to make. And guys. If you've ever made a roux, you'll know. My pretentious friends in the audience are like, Oh, I know what happens to a roux when it's left. Good God, this is a more horrifying story than I thought. I thought she was just going to get dumped. But the Uh, roux. So the roux started to brown while I was getting dumped. And it continued to brown, and then eventually it caught on fire and set off every single alarm while I was getting dumped in the front yard. And it was um, it was one of my least proud moments, only because I wasn't a bully about it. I wasn't like, "Yo, man, you fucked up my roof. What the hell's wrong with you? Get out of here!" I was just like, "I can't believe this is happening. What? you were supposed to come for dinner." Just leave me alone. And then I cried for the rest of the night. Um, I I feel like if I could have been a bully in that moment, that's what I would do. I feel like for the most part, anytime you look back in my history, if I had gone back to meet my former self, I would have just beaten myself up. Like, total idiot. But that night, I would have just ganged up on my ex with myself. It would have been a great tag team night. Um... Uh, in in addition to the one the one good thing that this that this relationship gave me um, was uh, a passion like a, a really well developed passion for sci-fi which definitely ties in very well with our next speaker um, I'm I'm kind of obsessive about it now which is which is great and this uh, the next storyteller for tonight runs something that I had never heard of prior to this which brings me great joy but they literally do improvised science fiction like on the spot holy shit i can't write regular science fiction when i'm sitting in front of a computer for two hours they do it on the spot so your next storyteller is gonna blow your flipping minds you know him as eric zulager he does howl at the moon give it up for Eric zulager get up here
4: Um, oh man i i really wish I did improvised science fiction um but i'm actually i'm telling a, a story without any robots tonight which is unusual for me uh so I will do that now I love dance it's not ironic sir um I know truly I, I i absolutely love the art of dance and I have always loved dance dance massively. And to prove this to you, I'll demonstrate it in the fact that I've seen the movie Center Stage (laughs) more times than I can possibly count. If you're not familiar with the movie Center Stage, it is about a small town dreamer. Who wants nothing more than to be the principal ballerina for the American Ballet Company in the movie. It's called the American Ballet Theater, and I think they just reappropriated it for copyright reasons. But at the end of the movie, what happens is she comes out onto stage. Even though she has bad hips for dance, she has a heart for it, and everybody knows that throughout the fucking movie. She comes out on stage wearing red point shoes and she's dancing to Jamiroquai, which blows the mind of anybody who knows classical ballet because you just can't put Jamiroquai with classical ballet. And then everybody rises to their feet and they all clap for her. And I wanted that more than anything in the world. So, my first experience with both dance and shame put together. (laughs) And they are friends. My first experience of that was when I was eight years old. I was dancing in my room naked to one of the two CDs that I bought at the time. It was Green Day's Dookie and Lion King because I felt like... (laughs) I felt both of them were anthems for the oppressed, <laughs> which I was. And so I was dancing naked to I Just Can't Wait to Be King because I couldn't. <laughs> and as I did my sort of rudimentary pas de bourrées and soda basques and on dedans pirouettes, I turned and I faced my front door to my room and I saw my father filling the door to my room, watching his eight-year-old son dance to the lyrics of Elton John and Tim Rice. (laughs) And I saw a look on his face, one that I would come to know very, very well in the years that I have lived, which is like horrified disappointment that resolves like a symphony into acceptance because he has to. And I saw that look cross his face, and then I didn't dance for many years after that, and I honestly have been high-kicking myself in the fucking face for years because I could get there at one point. Then came high school. I went to high school, and I had started to, uh, to become a tennis player because my white privilege dictates that I must become a tennis player. <laughs> there are three levels. You're either a tennis player in the ghetto... You are a golf player or you are a polo player, in which case you must be royalty. I was a tennis player. So it was assumed that I would go on to play tennis in high school until one day I saw an older brother's friend break dancing in a dressing room and I was like, where would you learn those funky moves, sir? (laughs) And my, my, my love of dance came back. It flared up like a, like a, like a, a herpes inflammation. I don't know that for a fact. I just read about it in books. But I realized that everything that they didn't like about me wanting to be a dancer was solved through the break dancing. You see, because it was not only masculine, but it was competitive and you grabbed your crotch a lot. So therefore, I signed up immediately and I realized two things very quickly. One, as we were both popping and locking to Ludacris's area codes as well as to the windows, to the walls, that I was not a good dancer. In the least, and also, too, it is absolutely humiliating to be a bad dancer in front of any amount of people, not just naked in front of your father at eight. So I also realized at the same time that you, as a high schooler, the, the, the currency is embarrassment, right? Right. Everybody is dealing with embarrassment on a consistent level. And if I were to consistently embarrass myself, then I was impervious to it. I was inoculated against being embarrassed by anybody else's opinion. And furthermore, I was inoculated to being friends with anybody else. (laughs) Which is good. I changed high schools after that. Now, let's just say, for the sake of the story, because it really doesn't have anything to do with this story as to why I changed high schools, let's just say I killed a guy. But my breakdancing days ended, and my breakdancing name, B-Boy Toast, ended with those days. And the reason I was B-Boy Toast, just FYI, was because you're gonna get burnt if you step to this real talk. (laughs) So I went to the next school and I was sitting there on my first day, my only day of P.E. that I was ever on in my entire life. And I was sitting there with a bunch of dudes. And then I saw across the gym and there was the dance team and it was a ballet dance team and I was sitting there with a bunch of dudes that I knew I was going to have to shower with and then I saw the ballet dance team and I was sitting there with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> and so I went over to the dance team and I started doing ballet and then my dad pulled me aside one day and he was like, you know what, we're just, it's fine if you do it. Just, you just—you do this shit all the time but like, it's fine if you do it but um, uh, you know that, that people are going to are gonna think, you're gay. And I was like, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The girls will never see me coming. And they literally never did in (laughs) high school. And so I did ballet for those 3 years and then I went even, I I went pro guys like I joined a modern ballet company that was dancing in in Hollywood and I, every day I would drive down the drive down the, the from the 110 to the 101 and I'd be just screaming my head off to the lyrics of Rent and I don't know why I'm not gay either it just worked out that way I guess <laughs> um and and I I this was it for me like I was going to get those people to rise up from their seat I was going to be that that danseur for American Ballet Company I was going to be that person and then I broke my fucking spine <laughs> so Um, Sprung floors are a thing in dance. You have some padding beneath the floorboard like this, uh, and it protects the, the bones of the dancers who are throwing themselves up and then going down very quickly. And physics dictates that uh, uh, energy can ricochet through bones. And so I came down from a particularly impressive Soda Basque, Uh on my heel, and it ricocheted up my spine and cracked one of my vertebrae in half. Now, it's it's not nearly as bad. Like, I did not Christopher Reeves myself. So, like, I mean, I'm here, guys. Um, I'm like, my back clicks every once in a while. But it's all good. Um, And then I eventually went to the doctor because my legs felt like they were falling off on a consistent basis, and I was like, that's not great for a 17-year-old. And the doctor told me that I had a fracture on my spine and was going to have to wear a cast from here to here for uh, six months, and I had to go to my dance teacher... And I had to, like a dance movie, I had to tell her that I couldn't dance anymore. And then like a dance movie, I had to go to the boys' bathroom in the handicap stall and cry bitterly for an entire period. And I thought that my dance career was done, but it wasn't. So what happened was, and this is the time that I had to have a talk with myself, I went to college my back was fine to a certain extent. I could do some things, and I still felt that need to dance. People in this room, you know it, <laughs> who need to dance. And so I started auditioning for the dance shows, and I got, I got, I I didn't get into the dance show, but I was going to make it if I could just keep training, and my back was just going to get better and better. And I made it into what was called the Cal State Fullerton Go Titans Charity Dancers. And I was like, what are the charity dancers? And they're like, what you're going to do is you're going to dance for convalescent homes to make them okay with death.
1: (laughs) And I was like, yes, we will.
4: And they're like, you're going to do this every Sunday for a year. And I was like, fuck yeah. Are you saying I, I get to dance? Yes. So I did rudimentary duets and group numbers. I did everything they wanted. And eventually the choreographer said to me, You know, we like your moves. We like your moves. And I'm like, I know you're finally recognizing me. What do you need me to do? They're like, We want to give you a solo. And I'm like, What's the solo? They're like, Here's the deal you're a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) No, I said, I'm a rooster. And so we worked on this solo that went for about five to six minutes to the music Yakety Sax, which is like... (laughs) But, like, I worked on it, like... like a professional like a professional does i showed up and i worked on the stuff and we used everything we used the breakdancing moves we used the modern dance moves we used everything and then eventually the first convalescent home came up and they gave me my costume it was a leotard <laughs> with a g string back and a swoop neck that's why the way it wore this so low it even went lower And then some velour booty shorts and a jeweled rooster tail that came out. And it was the most humiliating thing that I've ever worn in my life. And I smushed myself into it. And then I went to the bathroom and I had to have a conversation with myself. And that was, you know what, there's a bunch of dying people out there. (laughs) and nobody's going to chicken dance, rooster dance <laughs> for those people. So you get your velour-coated booty out there <laughs> and you dance for them. Tourlair, pas de bourree, pas de ja, Soda Basque, Granjete. we even did some like break dancing, like popping and locking, which is very difficult to yakety sacks. <laughs> And by the end, when I was huffing and puffing in my rooster mask, I saw three of maybe 30 old people try to rise to their feet and clap. And I was like, yes, this is it. I have arrived. And I did that every weekend for a year? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Keep it going, Greg
0: Zuleiger. He's got Hell at the Moon coming up on the thirtieth. Fantastic. Um, that was. I, I feel like that was most valuable to me because I'm also regularly suffering from the identity crisis problem. I recently had to come out to my friends and family as straight. And uh, by recently, I also mean regularly. (laughs) About once a week at this point. You guys know I think I'm not gay, right? I, I feel like, if anything, like, given the advent of the internet, I should know by now, but I really, I'm like, Kind of a dice roll, roulette wheel. Who gives a shit? Given the uh, given the the prevalence of the internet, I feel like I discovered a billion, a million billion valuable things. Gate porn was unfortunately not one of them. Sorry, guys. I don't have a story about that. The internet. What the internet did give me is a billion trillion valuable friendships. I I have made kind of a weird hobby out of making my internet friends uh, real life friends, to the point where. Before I did this show, I was uh, I was talking to one of my friends that I've been convincing to move out from Arizona, one of my internet friends that I've just like slowly over time kind of just like pulling on the tug of war rope. I'm like, I'm going to get you out here. It's going to happen. And uh, just before the show started, I was like, can you please come out here just so I have somebody to help me run this show? Like, please, anything. And uh, And he's like, yeah, I'll consider it. That's all I need to hear from my internet friends. They're like, yeah, I'll consider moving and becoming a real-life friend. I'm down. This next person coming come to the stage is probably one of the only people who is both a real-life real life friend and somebody that I kind of consider an internet friend in terms of the quality. We're all hearing the refrigerator going off, right? We're all hearing it? Good. I'll fix it. But she embodies the uh, Aristotelian concept of... Two Souls, uh, excuse me, One Soul and Two Bodies. Coming up next to the stage, one of my favorite podcast hosts of A Few Beers In. Give it up for Mel Smith, motherfuckers! Give it up! Get up here, girl.
5: Please go, please go turn that off. I can't have that. I will not put up with this bullshit while I'm talking. Thank you. Now that we got that over with. Uh, Christy is very right about the wonderful power of the internet. Um, it is something I am deeply, deeply familiar with. Um, the year was 2004. I was a mere 13-year-old girl. Rock Against Bush Volume 1 came out, and it really just... <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it just
5: spoke to me, you know? I just i felt that political need to, like, jam out to some Sum 41.
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs> And just kind of show people, you know, the liberal kid I was in my small suburban white bread town. Because I liked spray painting my pants. And
1: (laughs) (laughs) they don't let
5: you do that in every subculture. It was eighth grade. And I had just graduated from spray painting um, jorts I made out of boys' jeans (laughs) into spray painting skinny jeans. Because, you know, I was a cool kid. I was an emo. Don't say emo. I see you all looking at me and you thinking, like, oh, she had, like, that swoop bang. She just wore eyeliner with no mascara. Like, those things were true. (laughs) But I did get a sticker at Warp Tour that said no emo with a little, like, sad clang face and a little X through it. So I put it on my laptop, and that's how you knew. (laughs) I was a true punk kid. And you know what? In my little white bread town, I felt like nobody really got me. Like nobody really understood, you know? Like I was just by myself in this world all alone. And then you realize that there's the internet. Like I usually used it for stealing music. Like Napster had shut down, so I had to like work I used LimeWire, you download song, and yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. You gotta go song at a time. And there's still those albums where if you listen to the actual studio version today, there's an extra song you never had. (laughs) <laughs> like if you go back, you're missing track 8 and you're like this is track 8 I thought this was track 9. Mm-hmm. Like everything's misordered. It's it's confusing. You'll all get there one day. Um but you know what? It it wasn't just it wasn't cutting it for me anymore. I could get my music there, but I wanted to share this music with people. And for a while I lurked. See lurking <laughs> is when you read message boards and don't participate. (laughs) It's a common term at the time. And I would watch these fellow, fellow loners bond over the music they loved, arguing whether, when exactly in time, Green Day did in fact sell out. (laughs) It was long before 2004. And I wanted to be a part of these conversations, but they're a little intimidating. There's a lot of people that want to talk about Green Day. I don't think I could do it. And then there was this band that just spoke to me <laughs> in that my friend gave me a uh, Burt CD. <laughs> and just said, The Matches on it.
1: <laughs>
5: and, I, and I fell in love <laughs> with a band called The Matches. Um, it helped that they were a local band from Oakland, uh, they, which I lived in Sacramento at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Hell yeah, nine one six.
1: Absolutely.
5: Uh huh. Okay. Um, so,
1: <laughs>
5: <I laughs> so, I took. I would take the train. Um, I'd take the train to Oakland, to San Francisco, to the Bay Area. I would pay the twenty-two dollars for the Amtrak both ways. Uh, take a bus to the BART, then take the BART into the city, <laughs> and then, as a little fifteen-year-old girl with um, blonde hair on top completely dark blue on the bottom. Again, eyeliner, no mascara. I have blonde eyelashes, so trust me, this is not a good look. And I would go see this band, and I just felt like, you know what, they really got my punk rock aesthetic, but then they grew, and they became more art punk pop.
1: <laughs>
5: it's a subgenre, check it out. And you know what, And I, it was at that, that point where I was like, okay, nobody else understands the beauty of this music. I need to share it. And so I joined a message board. I joined the Matches Matches boards. And you might think I'm overly exaggerating when I say that decision to join that message board changed the course of my entire life. Uh Talking about this band, gossiping about like, oh, do you think he has a girlfriend? (laughs) Uh, It made me the person who I am. uh, There are these people, we, we got in sort of a clique. You know, I went I, outside of the internet and I would go to school and I'd be like, look at all those preppy girls. Oh, they're in such a clique. They're such assholes. They won't even talk to me. And then i go on the internet and one new person tries to join my message boards. I'm like fuck you! You don't know what you're talking about! I'm very exclusionary. And you know, it was like pre-cyberbullying so it was okay. <laughs> and you know what? And it got to the point where I was like, one of my friends that I had met online, her name was Victoria. She lived in the Bay Area. And like, hey, we had been all to the same shows and we hadn't even seen each other. And I'm like, okay, I need to make this happen. I need to meet these people in real life. And I had to tell my mom that I was going to go meet my internet friends. <laughs> And see, I was introduced on this stage today as Mal Smith, and that is what I go by, and that is what every person in my life calls me. My first name's Samantha. (laughs) And my mom still calls me Samantha, my parents still call me Samantha. And when I told her that I had made these internet friends, she's like, do they know your real name? (laughs) I'm like, well, no, because I don't go by Samantha, I go by Mal. she's like, good. (laughs) You can never trust these people on the internet. They could kill you. If you go meet up with them, you, this could be a 40-year-old man. How do you know that this Victoria is not a 40-year-old man? I'm like, she's a 16-year-old girl, I've seen pictures. We've been at the same shows. So look, that's the back of her head in this picture I took on my
1: <laughs>
5: on my Nokia razor. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I with some convincing. My mom was like, Okay, I'll drive you to the Mountain View Warp Tour. So you guys can meet in person. And that's what I did. I met my internet friend. She was six feet tall. (laughs) 16 years old, just like me. I was right, Mom! 16-year-old girl. Hair all the way down to her butt. Gorgeous. Like, looked like a living anime character. Uh Which every man she ever met from ages 16 to 50-year-old men would be like, You're Your hair is so beautiful. Can I touch it? (laughs) Uh, No, that's creepy as fuck. Um, (laughs) And we became best friends. It was as easy as that. She was my internet friend. Um, And we went on adventures together. Her, me, and my sister, who I dragged along to everything because I was socially awkward and terrified of being alone ever. (laughs) And so we would, you know, pal around Oakland because that's what 16-year-old girls should do at night. And go to we'd go to punk rock shows and we'd put safety pins on our clothes and well I, le- I learned how to do my eyeliner right and that's a really important part of the story. She uh, she taught me a lot of things and her mom her mom was a special person. She uh, her and Tori I call her Tori we're friends, Fred's uh, they lived in a hotel in Emeryville California where I spent many a night after a show just passing out in a hotel room just proud of pure exhaustion because I was straight edge NBD
1: <laughs>
5: and I it, it seemed kind of weird at the time because you know not many of my 16 year old friends lived in hotels and their moms wouldn't let them go to shows my mom was cool but her mom seemed, seemed a little off and she was the sweetest woman I ever met but she did make us call her Buttercup
1: <laughs>
5: like just as a name <laughs> and she was. She would always pick us up from shows, which was so nice, because, like, I don't want to take the train at midnight. I'm a 16-year-old girl. And she would pick us up from shows. Sure, she'd be two hours late, and it would be pouring rain, and then the bouncer at the strip club next to the venue would take us in from the rain and keep us safe. <laughs> because it's the middle of the city. But you know what? Some moms are a little weird. Uh, one night, she picked us up after a show, and... She's like, I hey, I just have to run a quick errand. And I'm like, oh okay, well, that's fine. We I mean, like we're we're children. We don't have anything to do. <laughs> um. So she's like, oh, it'll just be a second. Where we go into the hills in the city of San Francisco and park outside of house. She's like, I'll just I'll be right back. I'm like, okay. And we all just hang out in the car. We turn on the radio. We're like, oh my god, this song sucks, but I secretly love it. And we wait and wait. And wait, it's been like an hour and a half. Uh, She comes back and seems a little off, but that's fine, that's normal. Um, It wasn't until years later that I, me and my sister kind of talked about it. We're like, that night was weird, right? And she's like, yeah. Oh, Tori never told you? I'm like, no. What? she's like, oh, her mom was picking up (laughs) math, Which is like, that's the sad chuckle, like, that you should have. They had this situation that was so, it was hard, and... But music and the internet gave this girl that I was genuinely friends with for a long time an escape from that, just like it gave me an escape from my loving parents.
1: <laughs>
5: and boring childhood. Um, so the internet can do magical things. Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> Keep it going from Mel Smith! Uh, Mal and I have, uh, she doesn't know this, but Mal and I have a bizarre relationship in that I listen to her talk all the time, and uh, she just comes to see me once a month. Her podcast, A Few Beers In, is fantastic. I am saying that as a fan and not as somebody who recently guessed it on the show. I am very much into one upmanship, so I'll just briefly point out that the message boards that I spent my internet years on were devoted to a band that you guys may know as Fallout Boy. <laughs> Every single day for many hours a day through the entirety of, of uh, middle high school and early college. I like To the point where I, like, I developed crushes on, I can't say people, it's on person. There was one person on this board uh, over years. I made friends that I met at Comic-Con. Like, it absolutely dominated my life. It was absurd. But, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that, like, Fall Out Boy is objectively a cooler band, but, you know, um, we all know it's true. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, Mal. You, You really win this one. Um... I I wish I had a a better segue, but I was just I've been thinking about I've been thinking about um, this restaurant uh, that I was told about recently that I went to. Like you guys, you guys are familiar with like the concept of restaurants with like oh they have this cool new way of serving you. They're like dogs are serving you or whatever. Yeah, like, Everybody trying to do something interesting or whatever. And there's this one restaurant that that was recommended to me. And the whole experience, the whole point of the experience is to pretend like you're blind. You get blindfolded, sit down in the restaurant, eat your food in the dark. And it's supposed to, like, heighten your sense of smell, heighten your sense of taste, blah, blah, blah. And the only thing that I felt heightened was my sense of loneliness, because I eat in the dark all the time. (laughs) I should let you guys know the next storyteller coming to the stage was uh, raised by UCB. She is a Harold vet. She is a darling, and I know you guys are going to love her story. Coming up next to the stage is Alexa Loftus. Give it up. Bring it on up. Yay! 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 First time newcomer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you.
6: Hi, guys. <gasps> Hi. What, what a nice, intimate room when I, I was in a long-term relationship and it was kind of the situa- situation where I knew it needed to end but I kept convincing myself that I should keep trying and I felt totally trapped. Uh, he's my best friend but also my mortal enemy.
1: <laughs>
6: I was watching the HBO television show Girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it. And there's this character on it, um, Ray Puchansky. I know I'm getting that last name wrong, but love you. yes, yes. Well I kn- <laughs> I know I'm getting it wrong, but for some reason it got stuck in my head to say it like that. And I was like, Ray Puchansky's got it all. Uh. <laughs> he's smart, he's goofy, he's a manager at a coffee shop. And then I was like I should be confident enough in my relationship with a real person to not feel the need to trade it in with somebody who's fictional. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, So, of course, we broke up. Uh, A few months later, I found myself dating this older, successful, well-traveled man who was also recently divorced and completely emotionally unavailable. I knew that the timing was terrible on his end and it wasn't going to work and I should get out. But it's so much fun now. (laughs) Once again, I'm trapped. We go on like real-ass dates, you know, where we like feed each other oysters and then we go like have sex on the beach. I didn't think that was a thing you could do. Uh, he writes me poetry. <laughs> and it's like, decent poetry. <laughs> Best of all, he always drives. And so...
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs> so we're out, we're out on a date at a bar. And I look behind me. And standing right behind me is Ray Puchansky. Uh-huh. Well, it's the actor that plays him, oh. Alex Puchansky. <laughs> Once again, I know I'm getting that last name wrong. And he's standing there alone, practically begging for someone to approach him. And I can't approach him, because <laughs> I'm on this date with this dude I have no future with. <laughs> and it's killing me. Uh-huh. So, once again, I realize I'm looking for something better, and that's okay. And once again, Ray Puchansky has appeared <laughs> to help me realize that. <laughs> so, that ended. A couple years later, I'm seeing this guy, and it's going really well. Um, I feel like I can be my truest self around him and make any joke even though he doesn't really ever laugh. (laughs) Uh, He comes to my shows, which is really supportive, but I don't think he likes comedy. (laughs) Well, what does he like? He likes sports and working out. That's cool. (laughs) Um, Although, when we were making out one time, he was like, I have an 8-pack, and you don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) First off, they come in packs of eight. (laughs) Secondly, have you been waiting for me to compliment your abs this whole time? (laughs) The next morning, he was stretching and then did a (laughs) backflip. And I was like, I better say something about that (laughs) backflip. Impressive. (laughs) I mean, it was. But, like, why? (laughs) So I'm out to dinner with some friends, and I invite him, and he doesn't feel up to it. And honestly, he never really wants to do anything, which is a little unsettling, because all I ever want to do is something. (laughs) But I'm enjoying my time with him. Once again, I'm stuck. So I'm at this restaurant, and I go to use the bathroom, and I'm walking towards the bathroom, and I lock eyes with Ray Puchansky. <laughs> no way. Now he's on a date, and I can't talk to him. So I go into the bathroom. My heart is racing. I'm like now he's not available, but wait, ne- I'm not available either. And now I know, 8-Pack and I have to break up <laughs> because I failed the Ray Puchansky test. <laughs> Ray Puchansky is my modern Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> he mysteriously appears to help me get out of prison. But I can't help but feel like, in return, he expects my unborn child. <laughs> I want to be in a relationship that when I see Ray Puchansky, I feel nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
6: I need to follow through on my gut instincts because they're always right. And my gut is telling me I need to be with Ray Puchansky. <laughs> And maybe then I can finally learn his actual name. (laughs) Thank
1: you. (laughs) Uh,
0: I am also in love with that character and extremely jealous of that story. I have had a very long term. I'm looking at you, Chris. Um, I've had a very long term. I love you very 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 long term crush on the one that we all know is the hunk playing uh superman uh his name is jesse eisenberg um he (laughs) is at least uh uh, trying to be a writer and i was absolutely over the moon for uh for his stories um he did stories for mcsweeney's for this uh humor humorous website and um and I was so obsessed, and finally one day like, put all the stories together in a book, and I was like, whoa, I've never seen them in printed form, that's totally different than just reading them on the internet. Found out that, uh, that he uh, was going to release them in, in book signing form and, and appear with the printed text at Skylight Books, and I found that out on the day that he was doing it, so... Woke up in the morning. I was like, today's the day I meet the man I'm going to marry. Is a good day today. Going to put on some mascara. Maybe even run a comb through my hair. is amazing. I felt great. Got there. Um, immediately realized I'm entirely too kind and too wise for Jesse Eisenberg, which is ah. saying a lot. Uh, um, he, he, I mean... He very clearly has his brand together, but his brand is using acerbic wit against charming young women.
1: <laughs>
0: so, uh, he made he made a big point of of saying things like my friend my friend and I my friend who went with me um we said something to the effect of um, great book signing we love your work do you want to just come get a drink across the street we're not asking to you know be predatory of you I was but she wasn't so she was the one who was speaking so. Uh, technically, wasn't a lie, and um, and he said something to the effect of, uh, "No, I've got to get up early for a shoot tomorrow morning." He's like, "Yeah, I think they um, make movies in this town." I was like, cool. Congrats, you got a real good one in against a 23 year old Jesse. <laughs> Congrats, and I was like, "All right, I'm out. That's good." And that was the day I realized I'm too good for Jesse Eisenberg, guys. Yeah. It was a real boost. Yeah, you are. I was like, I I thought I thought very seriously about just sling slinging it right back. I was like, not worth the energy, and that felt amazing. Um, we've got a few storytellers left for you uh, on this beautiful, wonderful theme, which you know uh, it is because I came up with it. I was thinking lately, and I and I spoke a little bit to this before about how just everything has been like extremely adult lately. There's just been a lot of of adulthood happening all at once especially in, in the course of like two weeks and uh i woke up one morning and uh after i think those of you who were here last month remember me hanging out with the um with belgian interns i was like rushing you guys out of this house i was like i want to hang out with these belgian interns please leave um and then the terrorist attacks happens and i woke up one morning and my first thought was like oh my god are they okay and thankfully we had Um, a connection through, you know, WhatsApp or something. And I checked, and I was like, hey, are you guys okay? Are you guys all right? What's going on? They're like, we are okay. We're waiting for our friends to land, make sure that everybody is good. And then immediately after that, it hit me that my brother had been in Brussels five days before the attacks. And I, like, I was still lying in bed at this point, just, you know, kind of checking in on everyone. And it hit me, I was like... I could have woken up and been an only child today all of a sudden and that would have gotten me so much attention you guys Jesus Christ really missing an opportunity there I was like oh so much sympathy it would have really just hit right in the gut Um, I could have been the funnier sibling guys damn I know he's listening to this eventually, so it'll it'll make me happy. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he'll enjoy it as much as as much as uh, you guys just did. Um, <laughs> he'll just be like, uh, "It's weird, all right." <laughs> all the way over in Ireland. Next storyteller coming to the stage is an absolute delight. She is she is without doubt one of the best best dressed here tonight. Definitely like, cutest couple in relationship with herself or with anyone else. Please welcome a host of Radio Pictures Show and a bunch of other excellent projects. The I host one comedy show a month. She does six. Give it up for Woo! Luce, Tomlin, Brenner. Please, six shows a month. Luce, get up here. Thank you. Please entertain this gorgeous crowd. Thank you.
7: Thank you. And, you guys, this is a really interesting fact, but that's my couch that you're sitting on.
3: What? Yeah.
7: So I've never been here before. I I came to sit and I was like, I know those stains. I know those rips. My couch. <laughs> so I answered it and I'm, well, someone else was like, I'll come get your couch on Craigslist. And I didn't know that the girl who came to get it is also lives with this girl. And I got so psyched. Are you guys loving this couch? So nice, right? Oh, well, you're welcome.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. And that's.
7: I'm only in this for the praise. I mean, I'm not getting paid. So my story is about uh, me uh, confronting and bringing down the man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Yeah. never enough of that. And the man, in this case, is Clear Channel Communications. Yeah, fuck them. Exactly. Uh, now they're called iHeartRadio. I don't know if you know that. Which is such a lie. Like that's just like the man to be like, oh, you like radio? I love radio too. Give it all to me and your money. And now here's like Journey every hour on the hour. I love radio. No, you don't. You're you're like my uncle being like, I love beer. Like (laughs) have a natural light with me. Like you don't love beer. (laughs) You don't love radio. Clear channel. So, like, back in, like, the heady days of the late 90s, early aughts, Clear Channel was, like, buying up radio stations because in 1996 this um, Federal Communications Act was passed that was, like, you can just buy whatever you want. No rules anymore. Go for it, corporations. So they just, like, came in and they, like, hungry, hungry hippoed every radi- little radio station. And I, like, radio is what got me into very cool punk music. Yeah. <laughs> Because it was just on radio stations when it was, like, local radio stations. And I listened to this amazing radio station called 107.9, The End. Yeah,
1: yeah.
7: And, yep, Cleveland, Ohio, baby. They introduced me to the Mighty Mighty Bostones mm-hmm. and, uh, like, the Ramones and Green Day and uh, 90s, early 90s punk. And I was so into it because my parents didn't allow me to – buy music, basically, because I couldn't have anything that had the parental warning on it. And if I bought it anyways, they had to read the lyrics, because they thought if I listened to something about drugs, I would do drugs. But guess what? I did drugs anyways. (laughs) It didn't matter that Kurt Cobain killed himself. I wanted to kill myself anyways. So I don't need music to push me over the edge. I'm a nut on my own. So, um... I got uh, got real sad when Clear Channel bought our radio station, and one of the things that sucked the most about it was that they would sponsor, like, every event. All right, so fast forward to uh, me and my friend deciding that on a whim to go see Goldfinger after work one day. They're not, like, the punkest of the bands, but... They're they're 96, like right in the middle of that, like bringing Ska back for the third time, or that, like, (laughs) real big fish, Mighty Money Boston's, like, jam. We didn't buy tickets because before radio got really like, like, take my tickets, I got tickets for you, you mini Xbox tickets, call in now. Like, you used to just be able to go to shows because you just had to know by just knowing. Used to have to be cool enough to know things, and then you just got to do it. Not everyone got to do it. That's how you knew you were cool, because you figured shit out on your own. It was great. It was a great time. So this was like right at the edge of like the internet being a thing for everybody, and like we were still very much living in that like I'll just show up and just buy tickets at the box office. So um, we went to do that, but. Recently, Clear Channel had bought 107.9 The End, turned it into KISS FM, rap music, which is like, I like now, but I didn't like then, because when you grow up in the Midwest, you're taught to be like, I like everything except for country and rap. <laughs> which is like, oh God, they should teach you to never say that in school. Yeah. This is the absolute worst, most ignorant bullshit thing that like, any person of any age could say. They had bought that, they m- made the new station uh, 92.3 Extreme Radio, and uh, only playing the most extreme hits from Three Doors Down Everclear. <laughs> um, and Everclear. And it was just tough. It was like a really tough time to be like, yeah, rock and roll. Uh, so we, we go to this show very confident, And our ability to just, like, what's up, a couple of tickets for this, like, really super underground Goldfinger show. (laughs) And it was sold out. And I'd never gone to a show that had been sold out before. And we were basically just like, what? 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 (laughs) This is a punk rock underground DIY show. And they were like, no, it's sponsored by 92.3 Extreme Radio. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) completely sold out and I was I was living my friend who was with me was always a friend who was like it's fine we can do any (laughs) other thing like we're already in Cleveland I'm like no I made a choice I'm gonna see this fucking band and like I was very angry because I was a teenager and you're just you 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 should be very angry because you don't have any power when you're a teenager Um, Unless your parents are rich, but then don't even bring it up with me because we have nothing in common. (laughs) (laughs) But it's even worse uh, if you're a girl because you're also just, like, constantly mocked by society and all your interests are stupid. And um, you're also, like, vaguely, like, sexually threatened at all times by, like, boys and men of all ages. And it's just, it either makes you so angry that you want to, you just, you hurt yourself or, like, you hurt others. And the best thing about uh, punk as a genre is that like it encourages you to be as like aggro as possible, which is something that women aren't encouraged to do. And like the more stuff you fuck up, you only get punker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's
7: so great. Like, it's a whole system of, like,
1: if I destroy this,
7: you'll like me more? Like, great, I'm furious about everything. I'll break whatever you put in front of me. And like you just get out so many good, good, healthy feelings that way, so I was very angry about the state of the world and also that I couldn't get into this goldfinger show so um I took my anger out on the nearest thing that was oppressing me, which was
1: <laughs> <laughs> the
7: <That was embarrassing. laughs> Extreme Radio van that was parked out front with a satellite and they were broadcasting. And I was like, uh, uh, this van is the reason I can't get in this show. And so I just like took it all out and I was just like, fuck you, Extreme Radio, and just started like kicking it. And um... Like, just a lot of kicks, some punches. And I was like, that's not as good. Kept up with the kicking. And then people started encouraging me, which if you know me or are currently viewing me you'll know that like that's a girl who will keep doing things if you like it. (laughs) Like I just like thrive on positive attention and encouragement and also slight peer pressure. I'm like oh yeah you like this? I'll keep kicking. So it's like a row of uh, like teenagers like yeah this girl's kicking a van. And I was like I'm gonna keep kicking this. I was just like I was just like going at it and screaming and like you, like saying fuck a lot mm-hmm. and like just like pretty much being the punkest girl you know. So many cred points that day.
1: <laughs> I'm
7: living off it still. I'm a legend in my hometown. I'm not. Um, and it just it felt so good. And everybody was like, "Look at what this girl is doing!" And I'm like, "Yes, look at me. I'm crazy." <laughs> Um, and then there are these dudes They came up and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, i am fuck it up this bed because they took the tickets away from me personally. <laughs> I was like, you got any extra tickets? And like, we got one. And I was like, I need two. Me and my friend, we got to go in together. And they're like, yeah, we just have one. And I was like, well, can I, like, buy, like, why don't I, why don't you just give me that other one though? And they're like, no. And I was like, oh, what if I show you my boobs? Because I'm 17 and coming into my sexuality. <laughs> and they were like, okay, we're... Also doing that, so we like boobs, <laughs> um which is great. So then we like paid for the tickets, showed them my boobs, and like it's just like, <laughs> like now part of me is like really, but then I'm like no, you were using the power that you had, and you benefited from it. Like they didn't get to go to the show. Still, it wasn't like I was just getting them out for attention. I was getting what I knew. It was like the currency. So like. I think it was, like, a powerful move, but I wouldn't say that other people should do it. Only if it, like, comes to them, I guess. And they're like, hmm, mm, that's what I have. I'll do it. So um, you got to play the cards you're dealt, you know? So my personality is not going to do it. My tits are up for the task. <laughs> so not now, though, so don't ask. <laughs> Depending on what you have. W- we'll we can talk about later. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it worked out, right? I got in. I got into the show, and it was just like I ruined a van. I like tricked men with my new boobs, and I'm here, you know. And it was just like I am a woman. I'm the toughest bitch, you know. And I just felt I felt so good. And uh, a band opened. They weren't memorable, obviously. And then um, my friend went to the bathroom, and I was like hanging out, waiting for her. It's kind of like. <laughs> You guys see me out there? <laughs> I'm a tough bitch. <laughs> so I'm hanging out and I'm just like giving the shit eye to everybody because I'm <laughs> punk rock. And then um, the bouncer comes up to me and I'm like, yeah, because I'm being so tough. The bouncer's about to ring me in. And he's like, um, so the police are here? And they would like, "To." talk to you? And I'm like, me? And they're like, yeah, were you outside earlier? I'm like, well, everybody was outside earlier, and then we came in.
1: <laughs>
7: and and he was like, yeah, um, they described your outfit. And I was like, I'm wearing black. Everyone here is wearing black. <laughs> um, and so it didn't work. Like, he dragged me out there. The cops were like, hmm you were seen destroying this band. And then those fucking kids who were cheering me on were standing there like, (laughs) we out with her. (laughs) You fucking pussies. Like, I don't say the word pussies, but like, I might have when I was a teenager because we're all assholes. So I was like, yeah, you fucking, what the fuck? But I kept it cool because I'm not getting picked up by the cops, right? So I was like, I don't know. And I just did, I don't know, for minutes, I don't know. And the clear channel guys were out there, and they were like, you ruined our decal.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
7: we're going to have to buy a new decal. <laughs> and, like, they're wearing polos tucked in and, like, fucking <sighs> embroidered 92.3 Extreme. And I just wanted to tear them top to tail. You know, just like, like, if I had a switchblade, like, I want to murder you. You're the worst fucking people. <laughs> 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 and decal, and headlights. Cramped. Like, you just bought, like, you bought 100 radio stations all over the country. Fix it, jerks. But I was like, I don't know. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And they're like, okay, well, we need your information. And because I'm clever, always have been, I was like, here is my information. And I gave them the information of this girl who bullied me throughout high school because she didn't think I was punk enough. How do you like me now, Tabitha? <laughs> So I don't know what happened. I don't know if the police picked her up, um, but they never came to my house because I don't know what happened that day. So that's how I took down the man and how now radio is free for everyone. Thank you guys.
0: Guys, um, you know that I put in an immense effort. You maybe don't know this because I, I downplay it as much as I possibly can. Uh, I put in an immense effort to take care of you guys uh, when it comes to this show. When when you come to my house, I want to make sure that you guys are enjoying yourselves, laughing, and having a good time. So I'm actively seeking out people who are interesting, smart, and funny to come on this stage and who are not, for the love of God, all straight white males. Please. Yeah. Not that there's anything there's well there's something's wrong with that but so I think uh, I think I I might have uh, snagged a pretty good one uh, to close out this show and everybody who's gone on tonight I think is really I think has really killed it I think we had a great lineup tonight we're gonna round out the night with a Comedy Central staff writer he has done work with Workaholics he's written them for At Midnight guys guys um, if there's there's one thing I want you to leave this show knowing, is that I'm taking care of you, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best at all times. That is my goal. Put your hands together for (laughs) Ify. Anyway, get on up here. Get on up here. One of the founding members, possibly one of the lovely people working in the comedy group, White Women, Naturally.
8: All of us all of us are black dudes so <laughs> That being said, I guess I yeah, that's the first thing I want to let you know is uh, I'm black.' that's, that's, that's <laughs> me. I'm black. I should let everyone know that. but I'm like super black like my dad's from Nigeria, still has an accent. and you know when you have a parent who like did all the work to travel to come to America, you just have the sense of, like, not wanting to let them down, especially as a black person. Because, you know, there's, like, three rules you just don't want to break as a black person. See, you don't want to go to jail, you don't want to, like, dip out on your kid, and you don't want to put mayonnaise on your sandwiches. Like, those are the three <laughs> main rules you have to follow. And, like, I've, I've, I've broken two of them in my life, but we're not talking about sandwiches tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So basically, uh, like, you know, going through life, I've I've always been trying to fit in. Like, uh, it's it's a long road through comedy. I've been in Los Angeles all my life, but I didn't start really doing comedy, acting, and all that bullshit till about five years ago. So I was always trying to fit in because I never quite did. But since my dad came all the way from Nigeria, he wanted to make sure I was a lawyer. Or a doctor, or another thing that you actually have to go to school for and not ditch, so you can go to Venice Beach and hang out and eat hot dogs. Uh, (laughs) That's all I did. Like, I wish I could be like, yeah, I smoked so much weed, but all we did was eat hot dogs. (laughs) It's so much, so many damn hot dogs. Uh, But, (laughs) but yeah. So generally, if you want to be like a well-adjusted citizen, you know, you make smart rational decisions so obviously in my early 20s I was in a motorcycle club without a motorcycle uh, <laughs> I got the colors and everything uh, so I, I made it super far and the cool thing is like you know who remembers the Rough Riders you remember the Rough Riders yeah. I, I, I love that look to my black people I was like y'all remember the word? <laughs> But, but, yeah, so they had the Rough Riders Motorcycle Club, and that was, like, the dopest motorcycle club because the, on the leather jacket, you had the R, and they all had this, uh, the crotch rockets. Like, no one was on choppers. It was the dopest, <laughs> dopest. And that's the main reason I joined this motorcycle club because I was like, I'm going to one of their parties. But before that, it was all just like those choppers, those big, like, loud chopper parties. And those are filled with old people. And, you know, no, not to diss on old people, but, you know, I'm not going to hit on the 50-year-old, you know, biker chick. That's not my scene. But when I went to the Rough Rider spot, that's when I knew I was going to turn up. <laughs> so it finally happened. We had to go to the Rough Rider spot. But also, if it was mad broke didn't want to spend the gas to go to the party, so I called up my friend Tasha. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go. And she's like, just drive to my house, we'll get in my car, and we'll go. And I was like, that sounds like a plan I do like. Uh, (laughs) So we go there, and, you know, at the time I didn't consider this, even though, like, I grew up in Compton, and neighboring Compton was Watts, and that's like, you know, that's like the super hood. And, uh, (laughs) And so... So, like, I... But I was just... I'm always just so spacey that I just don't realize it. So I went to Watts. That's where she was to transfer cars. But nothing seemed wrong. It was just old people having a party. No problem, right? So we were waiting for her dad to get us cigarettes. And then she would have her truck and then we would leave. I was hype. I was ready. I had my vest on. I had I had this, like, big-ass FUBU shirt on. Like, that. this is... This is before the Urkel glasses. I was looking good. I was gonna, I, I was gonna turn up. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I was ready. And uh, there was a commotion in the front, and I was like, "Okay, let's check this out." Because I'm noisy. I'm, I'm very dozy. I go to the front, and uh, what happened next can only be described. It went in a speed I call fastmo, because <laughs> at the time it was happening so slow. But everything happened so fast, like uh, you, if you get what I'm saying. So this like middle-aged woman was standing on in the middle of these like steps, and it was to the second story in her apartment. And it was this cop trying to pass her, and she's like, "I need a warrant. You need to go in there." He's like, "Ma'am, you need to get out the way." He's like, "Nope, I need to see a warrant." He's like, "Ma'am, you need to get out the way." And she didn't. And he looked to his other cop. The cop was like, hey, and he looked at her and he straight up did some WWE, tossed her down the stairs, and she flew. It was crazy. And then the next thing that happened was something I didn't even think was possible. It opened up a whole new world in me. The dude just punched the cop. Like just straight up. And everybody, and it was like, like they all went into like Power Ranger formation. It was like, oh, we fight. <laughs> We fighting cops now. Like this was a world I did not know existed. I was like, "Oh, I thought we don't fight cops." It was like, "No, we fighting cops now." It's like, "How?" Oh! <laughs> and it was, it was, and this was like, you know, a little bit before World Star. Like we still had camera phones, you know. <laughs> But there was a dude with like a, a like news style camera, just had already. I was like, "You had that already? Like you you had to bring the tapes? It had the VHS tapes." He was, and it was just a ruckus. And I was like, "Oh, this is where I don't want to be right now." So uh, <laughs> then I saw another thing that blew my mind. Uh, I <laughs> the cop. When they started losing, because at first they thought they were going like, to fight them, They're like, oh, we got this. They didn't have it. They got tore <laughs> up. And then the cop stands up, covered in grass, looks down, and he calls for backup. And I shit you not, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I am not lying. By the time his thumb left the walkie-talkie, a cop card or two pulled up and a helicopter appeared that I was like we are breaking the laws of physics right now cops are getting punched helicopters are appearing out of thin air I don't know what's going on but I need to get out of here and I turn around and there's a wall of people because everybody wanted to see this and so like I'm trying to get the piece together and Tasha's mom I felt like she thought she she had the juice. You know, she was in front of the cops while he was attacking another person. Like, we got you on camera. We got you on camera now. Uh, No, she didn't, because the cop then body slammed her, and I was like, ah, that was a bad movie. Maybe not get right into the mix of things. And Tasha just saw her mom get DDT'd on concrete. (laughs) So she just loses it. I'm like, I can't leave you. Because also, you're my ride out. Because I still, <laughs> still want to go to this Rough Rider party. <laughs> so we got to go. We got to go. So I like grab her. And I was like, and, and that was my first mistake. Because I could have been out. I could have been out. But I really wanted to go to this Rough Rider party. So I go back. And the crowd like, it's good. Your mom's good. He's on her. She's done. We got to get out of here. And so we're pushing that, and we're moving slow because there were so many people there for some reason. And I look behind me because I hear, like, this voice. It's like, everybody, get the fuck out. Everybody need to move. Get the fuck out. Move. I'm like, who is this angry? And it's this short-ass cop half my size behind me. And I was like, this is never going to end well. So he's just screaming. And the next time I turn around, he... Got into like the most karate formation (laughs) with the baton. And luckily, I looked in time because I had to move like this to not get smacked. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, let's please get out of here." And I look over; I'm trying to find Tasha, and she's over trying to open the truck. I'm like, "It's a lost cause. We gotta go. We are walking to the Rough Riders party because we're still going to the Rough Riders party, y'all. This is—I'm telling y'all—that's the only reason I joined the motorcycle club. I gotta get to this party. Then I feel like. A resistance as I try and uh, walk, and uh, this short ass cop has grabbed me by my motorcycle vest, <laughs> and uh, and he just like he tried to, he had to do his one last thing. He was like, ah, "I got this, dude," and he like shoves me, and like I start, you know, uh, spinning, Ballerines might call it a pirouette, and uh, yeah. on my way down, I tried to grab something for balance. And it was the cop's hand. And then I like kind of like caught myself. And I was walking. I was like, whatever. That was weird. It's over. <laughs> Let's go. And she looks at me. She's like, thanks for having my back. I'm like, thanks. We got to go. So then... I'm walking, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting arrested. <laughs> like, like, like I'm walking, and somebody's grabbing my back, and it's the short cop again. I'm like, "Whoa, what's going on?" He's like, "When you touch my arm, that counts as assault against a police officer. You're under arrest." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense." He's like, "It does now." And he takes me to the cop car, and there's two cops just chilling. Like it's like it's like apocalypse now in this front yard, and two cops are just chilling. Just in the car. And so they left me there and was like, all right, I'm going to come back for him." So I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, look, guys, I'm a little nerdy dude. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I was just trying to go to a party. I know nothing about this. And at the time, I worked for the county. So I was like, I work for the county. I'm kind of like one of y'all, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, yeah, man. And the cop, the cop walks over. And he was like, hey, man, what? This guy's a good guy. We are just chatting with him. And, you know, why don't you let him go? He's like, I already called it in. It's like, all right. It's like, oh, okay, that's all it takes. So uh, so and they're like, don't worry, man. We're just gonna drive to the station. We're gonna ask you a couple of questions, and you're gonna go home. Perfect, cool. So we get taken to the station. And like, I obviously you you heard the story. I I left, but um, it's me and I I truly do look like I do not belong because every one of the other black people arrested is just covered in grass. Like, we, like, we were having, like, straight up, like, Tuscan oil, right? <laughs> you know, wrestling just in grass. Everyone's just covered in grass. And then, like, this is another, like, mind-blown thing that I didn't think existed. We're all handcuffed. Cops are walking in bloody faces because they got tore up. And it's like, oh, yeah, I think that's the one I punch. <laughs> all right, cool, man. And then the other one left. <laughs> I think I punched that one. So I just wanted to clear things. I was like, I didn't punch anybody. Just want to let y'all know. I didn't do shit. Just want to let everybody know in here. I just want to answer these questions and go home. And it's like a whole different world when you get cuffed up. Like, you know, you know like there's there's always that, you know, kind of like, you know, always criminal blackness when you get caught, But when they get you in the cuffs, they got you. It's a wrap. You a criminal. It's over. I might as well have got my teardrop because <laughs> because they're sitting over, like every cop that watches me like, I was like, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> uh. So the DA comes and I was like, cool we gonna answer these questions and I'm out. Finally. Perfect. We good. He goes in the room and then he goes out the door. And I go, but that's the person I'm supposed to be answering questions for. And then the cop comes out and was like, all right, going to book all y'all. Now, I know what booking means, but I, I just wanted to make sure. I was like, what y'all mean by, like, what, you going to jail? I was like, oh, cool. All right, then. I thought it was st- like they were joking, like they were trying to punk us. Like, maybe it'd be like, just kidding. Click, click. Go out. No. <laughs> Nope, oh, we got we all got driven to jail. We got screen-pinned, I thought, and we got thrown all in the same cell. And finally, now that everyone had a chance to sober from their fight, everyone finally turns and looks at me and says, what are you doing here? It's <laughs> like, I don't know. But when y'all started going Rambo on all the cops, I got wrapped up in it somehow. And it's was like, all right, man, it's cool. You're going to be taken care of. It's all good. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I don't know if I just automatically became someone's bitch right there. <laughs> but that was fine with me at the time. Now, this whole time I had to, I, I had to, like, work out the next plan because I did have a nine to five I knew and this is a Saturday and I had to be to work at Monday now also my dad works at the same job as me so if I'm not there he knows I'm not there and he's gonna want to know why I am not there so I was like (laughs) you know it's cool I'm just get in late get get go to court taken care of we meet with the DA's they asked me questions. I answer all the questions, tell them everything I just told you. And it was like, oh, it looks like you were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. I was like, yep. But then they asked me, like, like interviewed me like five more times, I guess to see if I was lying by like time number four. I was like, I was at the wrong place, wrong time. Y'all already told me why I got to say it again. I'm at the wrong place, wrong time. They're like, yeah, you're right. Go back in that cell. So then we eventually started getting booked to uh, go to uh, the jail and I was like well wait I thought you know we're gonna be out you know Monday so why do we need to go to a jail and he's like oh because the uh, courts closed Monday so you gotta be in jail till Tuesday and then you meet the judge and then you get out so now I'm in a danger zone because I was trying to do this without calling my dad now I gotta call my dad But, you know, I was sandbagging it. I was waiting. So, you know, one by one, we were all getting booked, and everyone was going. And then eventually, it was just me in the room, because I had to make that call. I had to, first I called, like, the, there was like an adjuster that if it's your first offense, just so you know, any of the people in here who might be uh, racially profiled and sent to jail, you get a call, you call the adjuster, they lower the bail, you know. (laughs) So we I got the bail lord and I eventually had to make that call to my dad. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, all my life I never wanted to call you from this place, but I'm calling you from jail. They got me. I was in they got me. I was, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. I got caught up in it. They think I hit a cop. So now I'm in jail. I'm so sorry, Dad. I know you came all the way from Nigeria and you didn't want this to happen. You put in all that work and now you, now you got to get this call. And then he took a second and he was like, son, I know you my whole life, you know. I know that there's no reason you would ever hit a cop. This isn't even in your character, and I'm proud of you. So you don't have to explain anything to me. We're going to come take care of you, and we're going to get you out. Now, please stop crying, because that's a sign of weakness. (laughs) Because I was crying the whole time. Thank you, everybody. I'm Effie Thank you. Thank
0: you very much. Keep it going for Effie Mwadiwe. Keep it going. What a champ. Oh, magnificent. You guys know what it is. That is our show. Thank you for coming to Personally Speaking. We will be here for you at the last Saturday of every month right here. Thank if you enjoyed the show put your money in that bucket thank you have a great night you don't have to stay here but you can never go home thank you everybody thank you so much for coming Personally Speaking is recorded live in East Hollywood every month by Matt Rains and hosted by myself Christiana Morganroth If you're interested in performing, attending, or just chatting, reach out to us at personallyspeakingshow at gmail.com. Drive safe. We'll see you next month.